1: When you're under that pressure, you come up with some uh, you know, creative creative things to, to make it work.
0: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Sharm, and in this episode, we're speaking with Property Developer and Managing Director of Avonor, James Paver. As the leading player in the commercial and mixed-use development market delivering a hugely successful $413 million office project from inception to completion, we hear the inspiring story of how he got there and much, much more. We delve into what a normal day it looks like for Paver.
1: These days, it's uh, a matter of trying to get the guys back to the office because of COVID. So, so today, I'm in the office uh, gearing gearing everything up and so starting getting the split shifts going next week I think so which is good but um, typically, uh, it's it's a matter of um, working with my team across commercial and residential projects uh, in, in Sydney principally at the moment and so um, at the moment, a lot of planning work. So there's a lot of meetings with stakeholders, a lot of meetings with clients um, and the end asset owners and, uh, and consultants and builders. So there's a lot of that uh, collaboration and engagement. And so there's that's that's a big component of it. And then um, the balance of it is is spent um, with clients um, and and trying to to build some pipeline and uh, and then obviously managing the business itself. So it's busy days but uh, it's very, it's good fun.
0: The COVID-19 pandemic has had an enormous impact all over the world and we find out how it has impacted Paver.
1: We're still stemming ahead really with a couple of our our major projects, uh, one of our major projects has a lot of overseas uh, stakeholders involved, principally consultant teams so international design competition resulted in a lot of, uh, so we've got consultants in uh, Europe. In the U.S., in Asia, and in other parts of Australia, and so we were already operating on on Zoom as a as a platform uh, for collaboration, and so we were already established for that. I suppose we would have done more in face, uh, you know, face to face involvement. Um, it wasn't, but we're still steaming ahead, and that's a pre-committed office tower development. So, in terms of the COVID impact to the uh, market risk, uh, where that's been uh, minimised for the most part. And um, in terms of the Resi Resi side, uh, it's uh, mostly mostly okay. So there's some planning stuff at the moment, um, so it's not particularly particularly impacted. But I think the collaboration part and the I suppose team building part of it is going to be critical to ramp up again. That's why we we getting everyone, you know, back up and running next week.
0: We learn more about his background, and the area where he grew up, and the school he went to.
1: Grew up in Sydney. Grew up in Epping, actually. So, um, and uh, but living in the in the CBD for for a number of years now, um, in amongst it. Went to Kings in uh, North Parramatta, and um, and so it was pretty, pretty close by.
0: Paver shares with us his journey after finishing school and what he decided to do straight after.
1: I actually took a year off and went over to um, to Europe, and I taught English in Poland for six months. Believe it or not, it was I didn't I had, I had absolutely no money, so I worked a bit in the summer before. Worked in a um, in a pig factory in Liverpool for for a little bit and got some got some cash together, and um, and then. Uh, went over there, and and because of that, I, I um, while other people would go into London or whatever, Poland was a good place where you could be be somewhere a bit different, and um, then go weekends or whatever it is into the rest of Europe. So that was good, and I travelled around for three months after that. Um, a few a few adventures, worked on a yacht um in Croatia on a luxury yacht owned by Greg Posch, uh who owns Star Star Trek Trucks for a while, and um. And sort of got some money together, and then travelled around Italy, Germany, France, uh, and uh, London. So that was good. And then after that, headed to headed to uni and um, started in property economics. And so um, that was where I suppose the property journey journey started. But um, but uh, and throughout that time, I was uh, working in. Uh, I joined the reserves and so doing officer training and uh, throughout throughout university and a bit after so um, that was good and, and started working for a uh, for John Boyd helping him on on uh, 161 Castle Ray Street which is a, a, a the ANZ tower now on uh, on Castle Ray Street in Sydney
0: We find out more about John Boyd and his background.
1: He's a, a, a private developer, so he—that was, I suppose, where I got my first exposure to commercial development. So that was a—it's, a, I think, a fifty-five thousand square metre office tower on on Castle Ray Street um, that was um, delivered by Grocon, and uh, and John Boyd had pieced that. Actually, I really liked it. He 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 um, he uh, had some interesting. Um, you know, investment models. As he was coming up, and he, he he sort of built some wealth and started accumulating these properties in the, in the CBD, and um, and then off the back of that, he put together the the um, a Freehills lease and, a, and an ANZ lease that um, underwrote the development of that project. Now he owns the uh, the penthouse up the top of that, which is. Is interesting.
0: He went traveling early in his life and we find out why he chose to go to Poland in particular.
1: To be honest, I don't know. It was it was through this program where they, um, you know, you, you go and teach English and I'm not usually one to just go down the, the well-trodden, you know, standard path. I usually do something different, I suppose. So, that was, I suppose, led me to, to pick somewhere that was in, in um, you know, Stone's Road from the rest of Europe but could would be a bit weird weird and different.
0: After travelling all over Europe, he tells us the reason why he decided to come back to Australia.
1: I was keen to rip in. It was always I think it was just go and get a bit more worldly and go out and, you know, make mistakes and have some fun and and then come back and, and start um, you know building a career. So I, I wanted to, to get into that. And so um, that's that's what I did. Um, and and I was excited to get into it, yeah.
0: After coming back, he jumps straight into university, and we learn about his interesting experience while studying.
1: You do it in, in the holidays during university. I think it's one one weekend a month, and uh, and then there's a few different uh, modules that you do, but they might be a month long in the summer holidays, and the rest of them are two weeks long. And you go out, and some of them are pretty interesting stories. Like I think on the third module, like in the middle of you know throughout uni. You know, in in the holidays you meant to go and get a rest, right? But then I went on this one, and part of the training was doing these twelve-hour missions back to back. So you there was eight 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 days worth of this. So you'd average one an hour sleep a night. Some nights no sleep. Some an hour or two hours, and um, and so then you so that was interesting. So then you come back to uni and you're pretty uh, you know <laughs> exhausted, but it was definitely worth it. Gave me some leadership skills. Gave me. Uh, uh, I suppose a um, greater understanding of people and how to work with people and how to work under pressure and high intensity pressure. I suppose, um, and then I, I worked through that, and um, but eventually I, I was um, I started working during year at um, Investec Bank, being that the, the investment bank, um, and and in the property team there, so the structured real estate finance team, and. So there was this point in time where I was uh, at university, finally year university, working in investment bank, in the army still, and started becoming a bit overwhelming because I was kind of doing these three intense things. And so then um, army was one of the first things to go, uh, and um, I, and then uh, the then uni wrapped up, and then I was into into the banking world. Uh, so it was high net worth, uh, property development, investment banking
0: many people struggle to find their ideal job straight after university. Paver explains how he was able to get himself into that position in investment banking.
1: At uni, I was at UTS and they had a uh, few different scholarships that they um, would run and one of them, Investec Bank, would recruit from um, UTS or that team would recruit from UTS. And they essentially, I think it was something like that. They'll give you um, a few grand to do a three months work experience thing, and if you do all right, then they'll you'll carry on. And so um, I did that, and that was in 2000. Was that 2010? I think that was. And so it was still pretty rough in the banking sector post GFC. And so um, it was a time where they were going through a bit of a restructure. And so then I, but. But during that phase, though, it was um, there was still, you know, still deals getting done and a book that had to be managed and all of that sort of thing. So that was where and it's sort of thrown in the the deep and you learn, you know, as much in your first week doing that as you do in your degree.
0: Coming up after the break, we'll delve into James Paver's journey In the moment he decided to build his own business. It was around that time where I started forming a view
1: of well, um, I want to eventually own my own firm.
0: We delve into a massive project that he worked on when he was at Leighton.
1: It's essentially holy grail of, of de- you know, commercial development um, for a developer I suppose in the sense that um, it was a pre-lease, pre-sale um, project.
0: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum, and you're listening to Property Investor. We delve into how he met John Boyd and the job he had, where he gained some valuable experience.
1: My um, uncle had introduced me to him and um, had landed me that job, um, and then that was just sort of a, you know a junior assistant dm sort of role learning how offices work and how the world works i suppose and really uh that that original one with john boyd but then after that it was um at investec it was as a as an associate um doing uh property finance analysis and managing um you know transactions through and managing existing uh debt books and uh and um and Books, And so, um, and through that though, it was very interesting. I, I really valued that time because what it showed me was it gave me excellent exposure to high net worth property developers and investors and across all sectors, across, um, all geographies in Australia. So that I could, I, um, developed an understanding around how the whole, Deal works across all the sectors, um, and um, exposed me to some really interesting and really, I suppose, um, successful individuals, and let me analyze and look at their business models so that eventually I could start adopting them and applying them like I'm doing now. So, I mean, um, yeah, I can. I, I don't know. Maybe I won't need to talk through some of them, but some of the, some of the smart investment models that they would apply, which, you know, focused around, you know, minimizing, I mean, on one end of the scale was minimizing the amount of equity they're using by, you know, securing, you know, underperforming assets and, you know, increasing that performance, getting bank debt against it, using that um, extra debt to get DAs, generating extra value out of the DA, going back and getting more debt to generate, you know, to deliver the project. And out of a small seed, they've generated this big book of, of value, of profit, but also the retained asset that they'll maintain. So then there were these clients that would have these book of assets. So some of them, by well, this one client had left school at 13 years old, become a panel beater, and then, you know, 17, 18, sold Ford, Fords and Holdens, and then he started doing development with his brother, and now they've got a, a um, book of over $500 million worth of, of assets. Um, and when I was doing it, it, was about it was just a bit under that, and he was only forty years old. So you see some of these models, and and some of the rest of them, like um, um, some of them a bit more cookie cutter, you know, doing subdivisions. Some of them were, um, you know, how to structure joint ventures and how to um, piece it together. And that's, uh, there was a bit of that that I learned, I suppose, through that. It made me think, well, maybe I want to be on the other side of this fence rather than the bank here sitting there and having them brought. Um, and and I I suppose it was around that time where I started forming a view of, well, um, I want to eventually own my own firm. Um, I don't and before that I'd always thought I do want to own my own firm, but I didn't know what field it is I didn't particularly care to be honest of what, what what I would do as long as I sort of be able to start building my, my own you know, uh, future and then I made a decision around that time um, well do I, I if I want to do that do I want to go the funds management route and learn that skill set and then eventually supplement that with someone else's skill set in development or the other way around do I want to learn the on the, on the ground you know development skills and then um you know, and then build, you know, uh, uh, and then supplement that skill set with, with third-party capital experience. So, I thought, oh, well, now I've got some a bit of banking experience. I'll um, go the development route. And so, it was it was a while after that that I started working at, um, I got a job at Leighton. I got, uh, you know, through the closure of a lot of the banking institutions, I've invested I've had a round of redundancy. So, I've, um, snatch that opportunity and um, and jump ship over to Leighton Properties. So that's where I've started building the the, um, the development
0: skill set, I suppose. Paver talks us through another example of a development that his client has in his development portfolio. That particular one was pub, that particular one was pubs. Um, actually, I think it, it actually it actually started off as. Uh, a post office was the first deal he did, I think. But
1: then he built a book of, of pubs. And then um, just before the GFC, he had a book of um, you know, 13 pubs or so. And then just before the, um, the new smoking laws, he sold his book of pubs. Um, and, and then the smoking laws came in and then, you know, pub values dropped. And so he sort of cashed out at the top and that kind of gave him some some cash to start rebuilding his book <clears throat> um, and then so that that was except then it was pubs with resi attached um, to them as part of
0: the developments. Some people struggle to get a foot into development side of property but Paver details how it is possible to get into property development.
1: I was always sort of um, trying to think about some of the, I'll, I'll talk about myself in a, in a while about how we did but um, for the others, I think um, some of it was, a lot of it's through hustling with landowners, I suppose, and so being able to put put the deals together. I'm just thinking of a smart uh, developer out in Perth that was um, putting together, a like, very very straightforward, but was putting together um, sites that had you know development capacity. It was a matter of um, he would he would um, pre-sell the and products and increase, uh, but use you. And it was simple products like five hundred grand for a, an apartment or whatever, and he would pre-sell them with um, and you accept say uh, under an option option arrangement and say oh well, if you put in two hundred and fifty grand now then um, I'll give you a discount on the asset and then that cash you would use to put into the uh, acquisition of the site and the like so and then you know through that he would package up you know the whole. The, the whole development, deliver the development, and and, um, and so these mum, mum and dad investors or mum and dad owners would, I suppose, be participating in the development process, and he wouldn't have to use any of his own cash, but he would participate in the profits. So it was, and then he because he had a building book and a sales book um, himself, he would click the ticket on the, the building margin and the sales, and... Um, and uh, obviously the profit on the development without using any money. So, yeah, and that's a pretty standard. I mean, it's not, not a standard um, one, but he, I just know that he executed that model really well.
0: For listeners out there who don't know what book means in this term for development, can you sort of just elaborate and explain for them as well too?
1: A book of so a pipeline of very, uh, numerous developments that have been, um, you know, delivered at any, any given time. So usually associated with, your, you know, your balance sheet, how much, uh how many projects or assets you have um, on your on your books
0: we discuss his time working at Leighton in the lead up to when he decided he wanted to start his own business
1: i went across to leighton for uh, uh, initially principally for a commercial development in north sydney which was called 177 pacific highway which is now the, the vodafone tower in, in North city, so it was a 40,000 square metre A-grade office project, five-star Green Star, and five-star neighbours. Um, so it was a, um, and it was an A-grade um, asset. And so I came into that before commencement in the in the establishment phase, I suppose, and the it was a. Um, it's essentially holy grail of of you know commercial development um, for a developer, I suppose, in the sense that um, it was a pre lease pre sale um, project. So Leighton, um, we we essentially secured an option over over the existing site, and um, and had a thirty thousand square metre pre commitment uh, for the a, a lease pre commitment, and so with that it means that you you. Uh, essentially can underwrite the development with that fixed cash flow that is going to be available to whoever owns the building. And so um, we secured, you know, the the building contract with um, CPB and then packaged that up and then pre-sold that package to a group out of Singapore called Suntech, Suntech REIT. And so, um, and they're, they're a passive fund, they don't take development risk and the deal essentially was that, Um, they will fund um, our initial um, establishment costs and 100% of the delivery costs, including our profit. And then on completion, they get the keys to an asset that is fully leased. And so as a developer, we had to take on the development risk. And so we would pass that down to the the building contractor for um, for the actual delivery risk. The residual risk for us then was the leasing. We had a thirty thousand square metre pre-commit, so there was ten thousand square metres of vacant space, and then um, for and then as we were delivering it, um, <laughs> the, it was in two thousand and fourteen. Um, so the tenant, the leasing market was weak and incentives were high, and so we had to um, we had to. So the, the pre-commit, which was late, it was CIMIC group, they they contracted their headcount so they only needed eight thousand square meters now. So the the job of now over over the balance of the project year and a half, I, I had to lease the balance of the thirty-two thousand square meters of vacant space. <laughs> and and if we didn't and if we didn't, then there would there was a rent guarantee over all of that space which would amount to, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And so, um, so I embarked on that process and then progressively leased to Vodafone, Jacobs, um, CBRE, Cisco, Pepper, uh, Objective and NBN. And, and then the NBN lease, which was the last one, I cut on the day before practical completion, So it was a. So we got there in the end, and it was and it's a great project.
0: How long did that process take you to find these tenants?
1: It was a bit of a hunt. So we had we had CBRE on our as our um, leasing agent, but it was uh, so from two thousand and fourteen we were into the leasing process for the balance of space, and then I think through the course of two thousand and fifteen I closed the um, most of the deals and then the fit out started happening in 2016 and so throughout yeah it was about a year that I did most of those deals. And you kind of got to be creative with the what you've got at hand so because there was pre-agreed structures with the end owner who was receiving the asset they um, playing tricks with the, the incentives to be able to work out okay well if we generate enough income out of the sign so we might have allowed a particular amount of money for the Vodafone signage income there and then we we do a lease with them for that at a different number or whatever it is, then that money can generate enough revenue out of the end owner to then feed back into the um, the tenant's um, uh, base rent, I suppose. And so, um, there was a few things like that going on to try and make, make it stack but um, I suppose when you're under that pressure, you come up with some uh, you know, creative, creative things to, to make it work.
0: We find out how he was able to pick up all of this in such a short span of time.
1: I suppose in the first instance, I had really good people around me. So I think that so now so at Avanor, uh, my business partner, Pete Clemisher he was at the time at Leighton as well, working on the same project. Um, but he had he left early. He left in two thousand fourteen before these were doing. But around the same time Steve Rayleigh, who was the national head of leasing at at Leighton, he was still there. So his role was winding down. But so I suppose in the first instance I'm you know um, gather as much, you know, as I could from them um, to help help me on that journey. And then so that was one part of it, having the right people around. So now Steve works with Avanor as well. Um, so there was that. But then the other one is feel I have a, uh, I'm a very determined person, I suppose. <laughs> I've got high ambitions and I'll, I've worked pretty hard So I and I enjoyed it. So I was very excited to be able to. Um, you know, learn all this stuff with knowing that the end goal was going to be I'm going to go and do this stuff myself and so models like that where you're putting in a couple of mil and making 60 out of it um, is is um, and I suppose enough of a, a carrot to want to learn it pretty quickly. <laughs>
0: So inspired by James Paver's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory where we'll discuss his strategy.
1: We don't just go for any deal and um, deal flow, deal volume I suppose isn't our strategy. Deal accuracy is is more our strategy.
0: What he sees happening to the firm in the future.
1: The next 12 months is going to be quite formative for the firm.
0: And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.